Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. We're going to do something a little bit, well, maybe not a little bit different, uh, a lot different today, um, but that's okay. Different is good. And uh, if you'll remember uh, last, or two weeks ago actually, um, I shared with you uh, how the enemy actually attacks us. And so if you'll give me just one minute here to move a couple of things around, I don't want to mess anything up. And I am capable of that. That wasn't funny. Yeah, if you would. Um, Two weeks ago, I shared the attack that the enemy always has on us. It's something the Lord has been stirring in me for weeks, um, probably a couple of months now, is how the enemy attacks us. If we want to be able to stand in the power of Holy Spirit and surrender our own um, abilities and our own strength, what we have to be made aware of is how the enemy, how the enemy attacks us. So two weeks ago, uh, I shared with you from Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians, the attack, 2 Corinthians 10, the attack that the enemy does. And I believe the first place the enemy always attacks is in the mind. Because he knows if he can win the battle in the mind, then he can win the war. Because it's in our mind that controls the rest of our being. So one of the passages of Scripture, I want to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 7 this morning. We're we're going to get to Romans chapter 7. But I want to share just briefly um, first from Romans chapter 5, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, if, if, you, if you remember how kind of the progression has gone here, Jesus was crucified, uh, he appeared, he then ascended back to his father's throne, and he said, I, don't, I want you to go to Jerusalem, to, to his disciples. I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit's going to descend upon you. Because you need the Holy Spirit's power. We need the Holy Spirit's power today in 2021. I need the Holy Spirit's power every single moment of my life. You need the Holy Spirit's power every single moment of your walk with the Lord. That's for all of us. It wasn't just for the disciples. It wasn't a one-time event. It's how God continues to work today in our lives. So Jesus said, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. They go, they wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows up. There's a multitude of people, a multitude of people that see the work of God. They come to the Lord. And so herein, God launches the church. The, the church as we know it today, that's powered, that's fueled through the Holy Spirit. So we fast forward a little bit, and still these people that crucified Jesus, are, they're still upset. They thought, if we can kill Jesus, this is going to take care of all of this new religion, is kind of how they saw it. It's going to take care of it, it's going to end it. But it didn't, because they did not know, they did not understand that they were working against what God was doing. 
And so we fast forward to Acts chapter 5 in this passage. Just a few verses here I want to share with you this morning. And the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, the council, if you will, was upset because these guys are still preaching and teaching in Jesus' name. And they thought they had ended this. Jesus was dead, it's over, and it's done. This is, this is finished. And so in Acts chapter 5, verse 25, let me, let me read these few verses. You can make note of them. You don't have to turn there. Uh, it says, Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, and they're teaching the people. These are, these are Jesus' disciples that they were upset. They were still preaching. They got put in jail. They finally get out of jail. And now we find them teaching in the temple about Jesus' name. Verse 26, at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And this is what the high priest says. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So they have this little trial here before the high priest. They're upset. They tell the, they tell the disciples, the apostles, don't go preach in Jesus' name. But yet they were still doing that. They just got out of jail for that. But yet they're still going. You see, what is happening here is the, the, uh, the followers of Jesus had determined in their mind that nothing was going to distract them from the work that God had given to them. Now, it would be easy if we were in their shoes to say, look, I don't want to go to jail. Jail is not a great place to be, and it was a million times worse then than it is now. There were no amenities in the jail, and a lot of people who went to jail died in jail. But the apostles determined in their mind, we're going to keep on preaching in Jesus' name because we know what he's told us to do. And then in verse, um, verse uh, 39 here. So, so then there's a speech that comes about and they said, please don't kill them because if you kill these guys, um, then everybody's going to come after us. And so they decided they weren't going to kill the guys, the, the apostles. And he says in verse 39, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and listen, they had them flogged. They had them flogged. Just a few words here. That's, you think, oh man, you know, what, what type of flogging? It was just a little flogging. The immediate goes right on. It doesn't stop, give us any details about the flogging. But this wasn't any fun. And there was excruciating pain in this. They were in jail. They get out of jail. They keep preaching in Jesus' name. They come back. Then they stand before the high priest, and the high priest has them flogged. And listen, after they were flogged, the high priest ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and he let them go. He said, I'm not going to kill you. We're just going to flog you, which was horrible. But don't go preaching in Jesus' name. And listen to verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Here's the amazing thing to me, and this is what the Lord has been speaking to me about this verse as we were preparing for this morning. The disciples determined in their mind that no matter what the world threw at them, they were going to rejoice. Isn't that amazing? That, that's, that amazes me. You put me in jail, in my mind, I'm going to rejoice. You arrest me, in my mind, I've already predetermined I'm going to rejoice. You flog me in my mind. I've already determined in my mind I'm going to rejoice. 
The disciples understood that they, like Daniel, that we discussed three weeks ago, had already made the decision in their mind that nothing was going to stop them from doing what God had called them to do. They knew, like Daniel, the battle from the enemy takes place in your mind. And if we want to be filled with His Holy Spirit, and if we want to be empowered by His Holy Spirit, then what happens, or what we need to do, is understand how the enemy attacks us. Listen, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to get this. The enemy will bring his attack first to your mind because your mind determines your actions. This week I was asked to teach the 8th grade Bible class in uh, Miss Tracy Elliott's uh, Bible, Bible class on, uh, on Friday. She had two, two different classes in 8th grade. And so I asked, um, I don't want to come in and I don't want to just change everything up. So what is, what is it that you're on this week? And she gave me, um, she told me the topic and the topic was on purity. I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to go teach on purity. I've got a daughter that's sitting in this class and I've got to go teach on purity. But here's the amazing thing about this curriculum. This is what was unbelievable to me. The focus was not on the action the focus was on the battle that the enemy was attacking, which is your mind. And this is what the curriculum said. This is what we teach our kids. Pure thoughts lead to pure actions. The focus was not on the action. The focus was on the thoughts. For too long in the church, we've debated the actions and we've said, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. And if you want to be righteous, and if you want to be holy, you've got to have these actions. Do and don't is what we called it. And there's some do and don't arguments and debates that we need to have. But before we get to the do's and the don'ts, we've got to discover that it starts in your mind. And if you have not determined in your mind the way the disciples did, you're always going to lose. Because the enemy attacks the mind. I'm sorry, Dexter. We're going to get to you here in just a minute. I promise. Um, Romans chapter 7. That was the introduction that was supposed to last two minutes. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. And I determined I wasn't preaching a sermon this morning, too. Romans seven fourteen. This is Paul. Paul's writings here. Paul was actually, um, eh, that doesn't matter. It doesn't have any bearing on this. Romans seven fourteen. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, Sold as a slave to sin. This is the Apostle Paul writing here. The Apostle Paul. If we were to list out some powerful people in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul would be at the very, very top. And Paul says, I have a problem in my life. And there is a battle that takes place for my life. And this is a battle that we have to understand today in 2021. As Paul was battling this some 2,000 or so years ago. It's still a very real battle for us today. In verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Has any, you don't have to raise your hand. Can any of you identify with that? Yeah. Because it's a battle that still is raging in 2021. As it was some 2,000 or so years ago. The battle that's taking place here is in the mind. 
you have to know that if you want to stand victorious over the enemy, you have to win the battle that takes place in your mind. John Piper said this, the reason we have so many ineffective Christians today is because they do not know how to fight the battle of the mind. What is Paul telling us in Romans chapter 7? There's a battle that's taking place in his mind. And what he wants to do is actually not what he's doing. And he doesn't want to do the things that he's actually doing. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I hate what I do. We could go on and on and we could see the battle that Paul is, is waging here. And it is a very real battle that takes place in every, single, in every single one of our minds. Here is a spiritual truth. If you take notes, you ought to write this down. On the back of your bulletin, there is a place for sermon notes. Dexter's going to share some things with us that just blew my mind, opened my mind up to this battle that's taking place. Whatever gets your mind gets you. Whatever gets your mind gets you. We could also change that and say, whoever gets your mind gets you. If God's got your mind, he's got you. If the enemy gets your mind, he's got you. Because pure thoughts lead to pure actions. Your arm cannot move unless it starts in the mind. If we separate your mind from the rest of the body, the rest of the body is completely useless. The heart can't pump. The lungs cannot expand and contract. The muscles cannot move. The bones are just stuck because it's in your mind that controls the rest of the body. The arm does not control the mind. The leg does not control the mind. There is a war for your mind from the enemy. And whoever or whatever gets your mind actually gets you. So the scripture that I shared with you last week was second or two weeks ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. Paul, again, writing to the church in Corinth here, says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's significant for you. That is important for you to understand the battle in your mind. And we said that there are some strongholds that the enemy wants to place on your mind. And you need to be aware of that because God's divine power can demolish those strongholds. We demolish arguments, he goes on to say, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And listen, listen, here's the battle. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. What's Paul saying? There's a battle for your mind. And you've got to bring every one of those thoughts captive and make it obedient to Christ. Has something ever popped in your mind and you thought, man, where did that come from? How did that get in my mind? Well, I'll tell you how it got in your mind. It started in Genesis chapter 3 with a fall in the Garden of Eden. When sin entered into the flesh, 
And flesh gave way to this battle that was taking place. And you remember where we said the first attack from the enemy was? The first attack that we see in Genesis chapter 3? It was on Eve's mind. And what did the enemy do? The temptation was, did God really say that to you? Are you 100% certain, Eve? And so then this debate enters into Eve's mind. The enemy is attacking the mind. So the Lord, um, the Lord placed in my, um, in my mind, I'm, I'm convinced of it, that I needed to continue this conversation with you so that we as a church are aware of where the battle takes place in our mind. And we have, uh, Dexter um, is, is very humble, and he won't tell you this, so I will tell you this. Dexter is an expert on the mind. He has made his entire life's work, with the exception of driving an oil truck for a little bit, right, for Dad and in Indiana. He's made his entire life's work in studying the mind. And here's the beauty of Dexter. He not only is an expert of the mind, but he views the mind through the lens of the Word of God. And he understands how God made the mind work. And he understands how the attack of the enemy is first on the mind. We could go on and on about the work that Dexter has done. He's earned his doctorate. Um, But here's what I want to say before we go into just Dexter and I having a conversation about the mind. Dexter is not your therapist. (laughs) He's mine. No. (laughs) No. Um, Dexter is not hired by any of us to be our therapist. He is not um, going to sit down with us, and he's not going to counsel us. But here's what Dexter is going to do today. He's going to give us some powerful tools that we can use to understand the attack that the enemy is is placing on our mind. And if you will receive these through the lens of an expert on the mind, viewing the mind as being knit together in our mother's womb by our creator, I think, I think, I know it's going to be eye-opening. So two weeks ago, after, after I preached about the mind, um, it was actually before that, I said to Dexter, Dexter, I need to sit down with you, and I want to continue this conversation, because I think that there's more for us to have a conversation as a church about the attack of the enemy on our mind. It wasn't just a one sermon, and then we're done. We need to equip the congregation with more. We need to understand it and have a conversation in it. And so what Dexter has done is uh, he has shared with, with me a lot of of what he has done, and we talk a lot on Sundays and in our congregation about um, a triangle. Well, little did I know when I had a conversation uh, with, with Dexter, he made his own triangle, and I thought, boy, we need some more triangles. So, Pastor Gary, here's some more uh, triangles for us to be able to share. So, Dexter, I just want to pitch it to you and let you share a little bit after I have about the attack of the mind and how you and your practice for decades have seen what the enemy has done on people and the attack on the mind. So first let me say how happy Sue and I are to have found uh, Whitechapel. We're really glad to be here. Uh, We're glad that you guys are here. And and the pastor talked about uh, a tool. So before we get to describing the tool, uh, I want to ask, has anybody here ever had a tool or some tools that they don't use. So recently, 
uh, Sue and I moved full time uh, over to this area and that meant we sold our house and selling your house after you've lived there for a couple of decades uh, you accumulate a lot of stuff some of those things we accumulated were tools so in the corner of my garage I had some rakes and hoes and shovels and they were all rusty and the wooden handles were all splintery and if you tried to use those tools after years of neglecting them uh, not only did they not work but they were frustrating to try to use and the tool we're going to talk about this morning isn't any different than that it's a tool that if you use it regularly and practice it you get pretty good at it and uh, it will be useful to accomplish its purpose if you don't use it it'll just be an old relic that sits over in the corner uh, you did a good job of explaining that everything occurs in the mind. So we want to talk this morning about thinking, which uh, obviously occurs in the mind, but behavior, which uh, occurs in the mind. If the thought uh, isn't in the mind, the body doesn't execute the behavior. Uh, additionally, the third thing that's in the mind is feelings. So. Within uh, that one organ, we have thoughts and feelings and behavior. And those exist in a dynamic relationship. And that is to say that whatever you think has an impact on what you feel and also has an impact on what you do. So uh, that's important, and I, I don't want to rush past that because I think it's important. What you, you said, what you think has an impact on what you do and how you feel. So what you're saying is it all starts in the mind, right? So the mind is what determines your feelings and the mind is what then determines your actions, right? Yes. Perfect. I, and I don't want you to miss that because it's important for you to get, again, it all starts in the mind. So there is great significance in the mind. And here's, here's the beauty of this. God made your mind. He made your mind. And God doesn't make junk. And so there are some people in the world that will tell you your mind is, is junk. Well, we know it's not junk. God made it, and we have to bring it back into alignment to bring every thought captive. And so Dexter's going to share with that. But your mind determines your actions and your feelings. So don't, don't miss that as Dexter, Dexter shares. So if you look on the screen, you'll see the triangle that Pastor talked about. And the triangle has three corners, obviously, thoughts, and feelings and behavior that dynamic relationship isn't one-sided in other words it doesn't just go in one direction what we think has an impact on what we feel has an impact on what we do also what we do has an impact on what we think and it has an impact on what we feel uh, thirdly what we feel has an impact on what we think and on what we do so you see the arrows on all three sides of the triangle go both ways and that means you can't have a thought or a behavior or a feeling that doesn't impact the other two corners of the triangle so I just that's that's another significant point that you need to get one affects the other two so you can start at any place on this triangle and it affects every side of the triangle so your feelings affect your thinking. 
And, and Dexter's going to dive into that a little more. Your actions will then determine your feelings. It determines your thoughts. And so the same, your thoughts can determine your behavior, your actions, your feelings. And so any one of these, your thinking, your behavior, your feelings, your emotions, uh, they all have influence and affect the other. So it's a cause and effect relationship between the three. So what we have on the screen uh, is my attempt to make an equilateral triangle. Didn't do very good, but it's pretty close. And uh, as if you remember your geometry, equilateral triangle is each corner has 60 degrees. And so if you think of those number of degrees in terms of the amount of influence that that corner has on the other two, in a balanced triangle, each of those three things, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, would have an equal amount of impact on the other two. What happens uh, when Paul says, these things I want to do, I don't do, he's talking about his behavior. And he's saying that what he wants to behave, he doesn't behave in that direction, and that's a issue or a problem, and you can see we put that in the middle of the triangle. So this tool is designed to help us understand Paul's dilemma, and a couple of weeks ago when uh, you preached on taking every thought captive, it occurred to me, how, how do we do that? So how do we take every thought captive? Because some thoughts seem like they don't want to be captured. Mm -hmm. And those are the thoughts that kind of jump in our mind. Now, the interesting thing about thoughts that jump in our mind, uh, we always seem to think that whatever thought jumps in our mind must be correct. And if somebody suggests to us that perhaps we should rehearse a different thought than the one that's jumped in our mind, immediately we think, you're wrong and I'm right, because this thought that's in my mind is correct, because it's in my mind. So what you're saying is we can't trust every thought that jumps in our mind. It's the reason Melissa won't allow me to buy the bumper sticker that says the only reason I open my mouth is to change feet. <laughs> because sometimes if something jumps in my mind, I think, oh, that's the right, that's the right thing, right? Because it's in my mind. It's my mind, and I, I control my mind, right? No, the attack from the enemy is on my mind. And the enemy will attack our mind and cause things there to try to affect our, our um, behavior and our emotions, or our feelings. And so you cannot rely on every thought to be a right thought. That's what Dexter is saying. That's why we have to bring it captive and make it obedient to Christ. Just because a thought is there does not make it a right thought. What the enemy will do is put things in your mind to try to lead you away from the will of God. So back to Acts chapter 5 that I was reading earlier. Could you imagine the thoughts that were in the apostles or the disciples' minds when they were in jail because they were just preaching the word of God? That's all they were doing. All they had to do is stop preaching and they wouldn't be in, in, in problem. They wouldn't have any problems anymore. But they had determined in their mind that nothing was going to change their feelings or their behaviors. They were going to do what God had called or created them to do. 
And I think if it were me, the thought would jump in my mind, just stop preaching. I'm not going to go to jail anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to get flogged. I don't have to go stand before the Sanhedrin, the high priest anymore. All I have to do is stop preaching. Well, that would be an attack from the enemy on the mind that then tries to change our emotions and our behaviors, our actions. Again, it goes back to what we were teaching the eighth graders for this past week. Pure thoughts lead to pure actions. And if you don't take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, then the thoughts will run away with your emotions and with your behaviors. So we want to talk a little bit about how that dynamic relationship between thoughts, feelings, and behaviors can uh, kind of undo us. And what happens when there's an area of our life that we want to make a change in, and like Paul, we don't seem to be able to make that change, is the triangle has ceased having an equal amount of power in each corner. If you can uh, take a look at the screen now, you'll see that the feeling corner has expanded and is much larger, and, and I'm attempting to show there that in this particular circumstance, the feelings are exerting more power or more control over the thoughts and the behaviors than the other way around. Now, uh, if you look at this dynamic relationship the way uh, you would understand a family relationship, uh, the feelings, while they're important, and certainly we need to recognize them and validate them, feelings are meant to be a signal. They're, they're designed in us to tell us that something's going on and that we may need to do something about uh, what's going on. So it's a signal. Uh, there's a couple of signals that we have in our lives that may or may not actually tell us what's really going on. One of those could be uh, the seatbelt buzzer in your car. Uh, I had an old car uh, once and the seatbelt buzzer would buzz whether the seatbelt was plugged in or whether it wasn't. And so it had lost its ability to inform me that the seatbelt wasn't plugged in. Uh, where we live currently, the fire and smoke alarm, which is meant to be a signal that tells you uh, when you might have danger in your kitchen, uh, doesn't work correctly because the fan, the exhaust fan for the kitchen isn't powerful enough to clear the smoke away. So when it's time to cook, we have to decide what are we having tonight and what's the likelihood that the signal's gonna go off <clears throat> when there's really no fire or no danger in the kitchen. Uh, and so some meals are one alarm fires and some meals are two <laughs> alarm fires. It, uh, and Sue places me carefully uh, close to the uh, smoke alarm so that when it goes off, and normally that would mean there's danger in the kitchen, in our case, it doesn't mean there's danger in the kitchen. It means that the signal is going off, but it's not really telling us what it was intended to tell us. And that's the way these feelings are. So feelings are real, they're valid, God created them in us, but they're signals. And we need to bring everything into the subjection, uh, uh, take it captive for Christ, and we need to understand whether the feelings are actually doing their job or whether they aren't. In this case, the feelings have gotten stronger and they're kind of bullying 
the thoughts and the behaviors. I want to stop you there because as Dexter and I met a couple of weeks ago, um, he used that word bullying, and that was a revelatory thing for me. And I, and I want you to catch that. Um, if either one of these three get out of balance, or if we allow the enemy to focus an attack on one of these three, it can bully the other ones. And so what he's saying in this instance of this, of this triangle here, the feelings are taking control. And so there's not this balance any longer. The feelings are saying, I am in control right now, and I'm, it's bullying. I am telling you thoughts, and I am telling you behaviors that I'm in control, and we're making decisions now based exclusively on the feelings, because I'm bullying. I'm the boss in this instance. And so what Dexter is saying is, this is unhealthy. This is not how God made you. God made you with your thoughts, with your feelings or your emotions, and, and then your actions that are, that are all coupled together. And we have to go back to that equilateral triangle where they all come together to address. And so if we allow the enemy's attacks to come into our mind, we can think, oh, my mind is messed up. I need to stop thinking right now, and I need to start going with my feelings. And so this is how the world tells you. This is what the world says. Just follow your heart. Just listen to your heart. Your, it, your heart can't be wrong. Well, that's a lie from the enemy. Because we know from the Old Testament that the heart is deceitful. And if you're making, uh, if you're making decisions based with the feelings, bullying your thoughts and your, your, um, your behaviors, then you are making deceitful decisions. Your feelings can't bully the rest of you. These three have to be in proper alignment together. That's how God made you. And they each come together so that they can then move forward with informed decisions. There are lots of people in the world that make emotional, feelings-based decisions because it feels right in the moment or it feels like the right decision. Well, you're leaving the rest of who God made you out to be out of the equation in, in, in forming a right God-sized decision, and we can't do that. So back to the talking about those thoughts that seemingly won't be taken captive and those thoughts that jump in our minds, and where do they come from? Sometimes those thoughts come from the feelings that have become too powerful, and those feelings inform those thoughts. They jump in our mind, and if we believe that whatever thought jumps in our mind is correct, then you can see we're in real danger there. And that's the wisdom of then taking every thought captive and making it subject to the teachings of Christ. As Christians, we have the good news of knowing that there is a standard that we can turn to. We know that there's a measure that we can measure our thoughts against to see whether or not those thoughts are, are accurate. And uh, so in this triangle, the feelings have uh, gotten more powerful. That means feelings are informing thoughts and behavior more so than the thoughts and behavior are informing feelings. Now, interestingly, when uh, folks would come to see me, uh, they would never come to see me unless there was something wrong, right? 
I mean, I'm a nice guy, but who wants to pay somebody to talk, just to shoot the breeze? Uh, so that didn't happen. So they would come to see me, and I would say to them, how can I help you? And their answers would always fall in one of these three categories. I don't like the way I feel. I don't like some of the things I'm doing. I don't like some of the things I'm thinking. Now, over 90% of the time, when I would ask that question, how can I help, the first answer was, I don't like the way I feel. In other words, what was most important for most of the folks was to change the way they were feeling. If you look at this chart, uh, you will see that of those three corners, human beings have direct control over what they think and what they do. That is, if there's a thought in my mind and I don't like that thought, you know, Paul wouldn't be telling us to take every thought captive unless it was possible. Mm -hmm. Jesus wouldn't have put that in Paul's mind if it wasn't possible to do that. Human beings have direct control over what they think. If I want to bump a thought, I can make myself do that. I may not believe that the thought I'm bumping with is accurate, but I can still change the thought. If I want to change behavior, I can exert direct control over that corner of the triangle, and I can choose a different behavior. And being able to choose a different behavior may be dependent on the consequence, but I can make that choice. It's impossible for human beings to change their feelings directly. You can't just choose to have a different feeling, but the way we can choose to have a different feeling is to use the power of the tool of the triangle, which is, what do I have direct control over? Thoughts and behaviors. Thoughts and behaviors will exert influence on my feelings. If my problem is I want to change the way I feel, and I want to be able to do something about that myself, then it makes sense that I'm going to try to impact how I feel by focusing on changing thoughts and behaviors. Can I, I just want to jump in right there because what Dexter has just described to you is the difference in um, approaching this science that, that he has studied his entire career through a biblical worldview, so through the lens of the scripture versus basing, basing his studies exclusively on the science. Because some in science will tell you, you can control your thoughts and you can control your behaviors you cannot control your feelings, and so what we want to do is just medicate that without addressing the entirety of it. And there are sometimes, medication isn't wrong. There are sometimes we need medication, but medication isn't the answer. What Dexter just told us was the answer is God. And so while we don't have exclusive, I mean, we don't have direct control over our feelings, we do have God. And Paul told us that this you are capable of this. You are, you are capable of bringing these three in alignment. And so what Dexter is telling us is there is, an ultim there, there is ultimately a better answer, and that answer is Jesus Christ. It's in these, the, the scriptures that we've looked at this morning and some more we'll look at in just a moment to bring our thoughts and our actions into alignment, which we can, we can control that then tells our feelings, no, this is, this is the right. We are all working together in this, and we are becoming whole the way that God wants us to be. We can't just look at this through the lens of science 
Because God created, He spoke into existence. The, the psalmist says, He knit us together in our mother's womb. So God created the science, and we can't separate the two. We have to bring all of it together and keep these three into proper alignment. So this is the final slide, and you'll see that this slide depicts what happens after we uh, begin to order our thinking and order our behaviors to come in line with what we know Jesus wants for us. The behavior begins exerting more influence on the feelings, and the thoughts begin exerting more influence on the feelings, and the power of the feelings to push us around gets smaller. Now, it's not the goal to eliminate the feelings. Feelings aren't bad. As I described before, they're signals. We need to make sure that the signal is operating correctly. And so what the triangle here is showing us is if we bring our thoughts and our behaviors, if we take them captive and bring them under the power of God, then that standard shows us what we ought to think about ourselves and what we ought to think about our behaviors and how we ought to behave and those two things then will begin exerting an influence and change the feelings so that they become reliable again. Reliable signals is what we want for our emotions and our, and our feelings. So what we have to do is determine as followers of Jesus Christ that we are going to have thoughts that are in alignment with the Word of God. And our actions are then going to come in alignment with the Word of God as well. But it starts in our mind. Paul said, uh, just to go back to, to this verse, just, just so you get it, um, Paul said, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Paul's saying is, there's a battle that's taking place. And then he gives us, and, and we'll talk about this next week, he gives us the answer for this. If we keep reading in what Paul has told us, he gives us the answers to this. Jesus is the answer. And it starts in our mind. And if we let our mind just run wild, then we start living in this circle of life that Paul is describing in Romans seven nineteen. I'm not doing what I want to do. And what I want to do, I just can't do it. I'm just in this circle. We've got to get out of the circle that the world has put us in, the rat race the world has put us in, and we've got to bring our thoughts captive, bring them back into alignment with the Word of God, because pure thoughts lead to pure actions. And I said to our eighth graders a couple of days ago, yucky thoughts lead to yucky actions. And they all had this smile on their face. But it's true. If you put yuck up here, it determines the yuck and how we act. And then we get yucky feelings, and we're like, well, I, I just don't feel right. What Paul would say to us, and Paul would be very direct, Paul would say, just stop it. Just stop it. And bring your thoughts captive. Bring them back into alignment with the Word of God. So that pure thoughts give us pure actions. And then we've got the proper feelings that we need to have. Dexter, I thank you so much for sharing this with us. I, I, we have, you could, would you give him a round of applause? Um, 
there are some spiritual strongholds, as Dexter and I had a conversation um, a couple of weeks ago, and then uh, I just made note of a couple of things that he mentioned, and then I added to it. Um, there are some spiritual strongholds where the enemy will attack you. One, it's in your attitude. It's when you let your attitude determine everything else in that triangle. Worry, or it starts in, in your mind. You just worry, your fear, uh, resentment of others, insecurities, guilt, seeking approval of others, anything that you make an idol in your life. These are some spiritual strongholds where the enemy, that the enemy will use to attack our minds, to determine our actions, to then destroy our feelings or our emotions. And Paul said, you have the capability to be able to overcome these things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul again writing said, Instead, I subdue my body and make it my slave, so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. What Paul is saying is, this is what you have to do. You've got to bring your body, take your body back captive. Take your thoughts captive. Take your actions captive. Bring your feelings back in to make it captive so that you are in alignment with the Word of God. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time. Have a great week.